Welcome to Handwriting Secrets Revealed on TalkZone.com, the show that's all about handwriting analysis. Now, here's your host, Dave Grayson. You are at the right place, Handwriting Secrets Revealed. I'm Dave Grayson, and we're here to talk about handwriting analysis. And on today's show, we're going to talk somewhat about cursive writing skills and how they're lacking or not being taught. Also, we have a guest, Marianne Babbage. We'll hear her story, and she has a lot of great outcomes from doing handwriting analysis. So lots to cover today. want to welcome you, and be sure to take a look at our website, Handwriting Secrets Revealed, and there's a lot of information there. You can find out about how to get a personal analysis. Maybe you're looking for a job. Maybe you have somebody you want to find out about dating or going with or working with. Uh, maybe you're not sure exactly what qualities you have for a job or what job you might want to look for, so certainly we can help you there. But please go to handwritingsecretsrevealed.com, and it'll help you a great deal. As school changed from the old state standards, which were was no child left behind, to the new common course academics, educators are warming and warning people that we're overlooking and not teaching handwriting analysis, handwriting or cursive writing anymore. Anymore, uh, they say that because Common Core standards don't call for cursive instruction, public schools are more likely to drop or at least de-emphasize cursive writing. Since No Child Has Left Behind and Common Core, number of things have happened. At least 41 states do not require public schools to teach cursive writing, or even how to read cursive writing. Common Core is silent on cursive, but it prioritizes computer use and keyboarding skills because it'll test every student on the use of a keyboard. So that requires every school to be in some area of the school online so students can go to the computer and be able to show their skills online. Even before Common Core uh, many schools kind of began to drop handwriting and cursive, printing or cursive, printing mainly in first and second grade and cursive in third grade and above. And it's been being dropped since really about 1990. It's less and less instructional time is given to cursive handwriting. And earlier this year, Several bills were introduced in state legislatures in North Carolina, South Carolina, Indiana, and Idaho, mandating cursive instruction. However, I must in full disclosure say that some of those bills were supported by companies that sell writing materials. But all those state legislators, except Idaho, is now mandatory and mandated the teaching of cursive. Idaho will probably begin next September. Now, Jeffrey Mims is a longtime educator and said closing the book on cursive could limit children's futures. I don't understand the need to eliminate it. Mims said, I think it's a basic element of students' control and peace of mind. You pay attention to what you're doing when you're writing in in that cursive format. Backers say that cursive helps coordination and motor skills. And I myself, having taught a number of years cursive writing and printing in the elementary grades, I know that um, if nothing else, the the importance of the discipline, the self-discipline of sitting down for 10 or 15 minutes and, and learning cursive. In the murder trial of George Zimmerman, who shot and killed Florida teen Trayvon Martin, if you remember, Trayvon's 19-year-old friend, Rachel Janelle, testified to being on a cell phone talking with him just before his death. Many in the courtroom were shocked when Janelle admitted on the stand that she could not read the document a lawyer handed to her because it was written in cursive. Experts have said handwriting training helps small children develop eye-hand coordination and fine motor skills and other brain and memory functions. Cursive writing could be important for children who grow up to be a surgeon, a painter, 
or some other professional that requires kind of laser-like precision and work with the hands and the fingers. Even educators who like cursive admit they are of two minds about whether it should remain in the classroom or it could be dropped. When a third-grade teacher, Cheryl Adams, saw that Common Core lacked a cursive requirement, she quietly celebrated, believing she had more time to teach other essentials, especially reading. But her principal informed her that she'll still be teaching cursive, whether it's mandatory or not, so school districts can still teach it if they wish. Now, the teacher Adams didn't mind, she said, because her students like cursive writing. It's not an art, but it's artistic. It's it's a time when students can sit and copy this letter over and over and over and practice it. It becomes very restful, restful and kind of calming for them. Catholic schools, long known for emphasizing penmanship, and are still teaching it, but are using less class time. So instead of getting a half hour or so a day, students may get just 15 minutes to practice maybe two or three or four times a week. Now, Catholic schools will not drop cursive in the foreseeable future because it's important for the development of children. An online poll by Harris Interactive this past summer shows that 79% of adults respondents and 68% of youngsters ages 8 to 18 think cursive should still be taught. Nearly 49% of adults and 35% of juveniles say practicing reading and writing in cursive improves literacy. And it's kind of a known fact that being able to write does improve literacy and memory. The poll was paid for by a pencil maker, Mega Brands America, and is neither random nor representative of the entire country, but it does bear out some of the biases against those who can't read cursive. When asked what they assume about people who can't read or write cursive, 30% of adults polled and 25% of children judge the person as less literate, and 7% of adults and 11% of children assume that they were just not smart, or to say a nice way, they were dumb. Many of students' teens are more comfortable texting on cell phones, type-touching on iPads, or tapping on uh, the keyboards of computers. A lot of children can't really read cursive, and I don't think it's life-altering or that you won't survive in this world, but if you can't read cursive, it's it's still an important thing for learning skills. Having been a teacher... For a number of years, learning cursive is kind of a rite of passage. Passage, And there's nothing greater that students enjoy is when all of a sudden they can now do cursive like grown-ups do. Usually second grade, sometimes third grade, students learn cursive. And it's to them really a big, big deal that now they can write with their uh, own pen and pencil, really neat things, and become proficient like adults, and now can write their name. Children like it. It promotes uh, perseverance and self-discipline, and children just love writing their names. And like that teacher said, it's really a form of artwork. So when we look at children's writing in third and fourth grade, if they're learning cursive, uh, it's hard to analyze at that point because they're really creating a piece of art. They're looking at a copybook style of, alphabet or they're looking up at those charts on the wall and trying to make an H. So it's kind of fake writing. And as an analyst, we can pretty much tell when writing is fake or not because it's not smooth. It's it's kind of a little bumpy and jagged and stop, start, stop, start because they're trying to remember how the letter looked. So it's difficult to analyze the writing of youngsters at an early age. Printing is much more difficult to analyze. You, you can still do it, but you need more sample of a writing. With a with cursive, you can find, if you're doing a professional job, you want to look at one full, maybe two pages of cursive handwriting. If you're doing it for just kind of fun or just a light informational thing, you could do it with a paragraph. But printing is a lot more difficult because there aren't connections. The, if you're writing the letter and, A and D, the A is not connected to the 
N and the N is not connected to the D. And those connections all tell us quite a bit. So we have to kind of do airstrokes or assume certain things. So if it's a printing and it's I'm doing a professional job on a someone who only prints, then I would like three, four pages of printing. And the problem there is it gets very frustrating for the writer because they don't like to spend that much time uh, printing something down on four sheets of paper. But if you're going to do a professional job and want to do a good job, a reliable job, and do a good report for the person, then you need to have a lot of the printing. Now, more and more people are printing. It's just kind of a quick way of doing things. Some people say they can print faster than they can do cursive. A lot of people can do both printing and cursive. So what I'll often do is if they do it about 50-50, I'll ask them to do several paragraphs in cursive and several paragraphs in printing, and you can kind of judge a thing. People who print tend to be people who don't like to repeat themselves. They like to say it once, and it's over and done with. I don't want to tell you a second time or a third time. And I tell students in school that their teacher prints on the board, know that they're only going to tell them once about a report or a lesson or a, something they have to do. They're not going to repeat it a number of times, and if they do, they'll be very angry. The reason, think of it, sometimes you'll get a letter, and in the middle of the letter, somebody's going to give you their address. And so they'll put all the information down. When they get to the address, they'll often print that address. And the reason they print that address is they want to make sure you clearly understand what they're saying. So there's, because, you know, with the nice thing about cursive writing, if you don't know how to spell, you can kind of cheat and kind of make an I look like an E or an E look like an I and put a little I dot way far away from an I so you're not sure if it's really an I or not. But with printing, it's pretty much more direct. And so people will often in a letter to somebody print an address, or they might print a couple words in a in a letter. If you get a letter from somebody and there's three or four or one word printed in there, that's the most important thing of that whole letter. Ignore the rest of it. I tell um, teachers, you know, parents are great at writing epistles to teachers because if they come out and just say something real strong, then the teacher might be upset and they're afraid they might take it out on their child. So they'll write kind of a, a lot of little things around what they're really concerned about. And I tell teachers when they get their letters from parents, do two things. Look to see if there's any words, any part that's printed. If there is, that's what you focus on. That's what the parent is upset about or that's what they want to get across. The other thing I tell them is look very carefully at the slants of the writing. If there's if there's three or four paragraphs and there's one paragraph that maybe the spacing in the is a little bit different, the slant a little bit different, it gets a little larger, it gets a little smarter, or smaller, that's the paragraph that the parent is very concerned about, and that's the one that you need to focus on. So there's just a lot of little tricks and things you can do with handwriting analysis, if you know even just a little bit, to help you get yourself through difficult situations. Um how to relate to others and do things. But I strongly urge you to go to our website, handwritingsecretsrevealed.com. You can see the many different ways that handwriting can be used, some ways that might help you or not. Uh, so, you know, take time, peruse that. There's a couple free downloads you can download and uh, take and read over and see what you think. We're going to... Uh, Take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk with Marianne Babbage. But we'll be back in just a few moments. Let's return to Handwriting Secrets Revealed on TalkZone.com. Here's your host, Dave Grayson. Welcome back, and we have a guest Marianne Babbage. She is both a certified handwriting analyst and a registered nurse, so she can analyze your personality and then at the same time analyze your health. Marianne, how are you doing? I'm doing just fine, Dave. How are you? Great, great. Glad you could join us today. Uh, My pleasure. Great. Have a number of questions. I know you have a lot of stories. We'll get to those later. You've done it for how many years have you been a handwriting analyst? 
Well, I've been doing it since 1980, so that makes it, what, 33 years? Yes, it sure does, and you have <laughs> done it in many different areas, so you have lots to uh, uh, tell us about. How did you yeah. How did you first become or what interested you in handwriting analysis? Well, I was an assistant director in a nursing home, and <clears throat> I was looking for something fun to do. So I looked at the night school courses, and Edna Wade was giving a class. And so I went to it, and uh, I, the very first night she said that if we would all hand in a handwriting sample, she would give us a mini-analysis back the next week. So we did that, and when we came back the next week, we were all astounded because she was able to identify each one of our personalities, and we were all very different, as most people are in a whole classroom. So uh, that kind of piqued my interest and so I really enjoyed learning the rest of it, obviously. And then I decided to become an analyst eight years later. And uh, when I did, I asked her if I could take that class again so that I would really have a better idea of what I was doing. So then I became certified in 1979 and master certified as a grapple analyst in 1980. And I've had a business for 10 years, uh, and then I, at this time, I am still doing handwriting analysis in the form of I teach classes for introductory classes, I give presentations, I do complete analyses. Uh, whatever the person would want to have, I could probably do it. And uh, people have been very pleased with what I have accomplished. And so I can't say how much I'm so very, very, very happy that I am an analyst. I do handwriting analysis because it's as much joy as nursing was when I was doing that. Well, as you know, when you first become a handwriting analyst, you go to meetings and you have to put your name on a name tag or somewhere. You're very self-conscious doing that <laughs> because you think everybody's looking at you, and it's not an easy thing to do. But but after a while, I'm sure... With, with that, with handwriting analysts, you better believe we're all looking. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's the interesting thing, especially what many years I was teaching, I get notes from parents, and I wouldn't read the notes. You begin to analyze it right away. I, I know. I, oftentimes, you know, when I do an analysis, sometimes I never read what's in there because people will write what they please. They'll write things that aren't even, they don't understand that they're not even telling the truth about something. Or they're intentionally not telling the truth about something, but usually they do. But uh, so I just look at the strokes and the handwriting to begin with, and uh, then I can identify the personality. And then when I'm all done, I might read it, but I don't necessarily have to. Right. The only time we really want to read it is uh, if you're doing it more one-on-one, uh, -on -one, like a counseling or a coaching session. Then you look at it more intensely because they're well, usually writing information that they want to share with you. Well, that's true. That's but, true. And you you want to get as much information as you can. And you can ask questions, too. You know, you can verify right. what you're finding and asking him if he understands that or if he agrees with it or doesn't agree with it. And then you can have a discussion about it and maybe let them realize why you're saying that they do have a trait. Right. And it's interesting. Okay. I, when I often ask people just to write a paragraph if, if they don't want to copy one, um, so many times I write four score and seven years ago. I know. <laughs> uh, so it's, uh, as you said, you don't necessarily need to read, uh, unless it's really a professional job that you're doing. Well, and, you know, the people that really don't want you to know too much about them, that they're the ones that will write about uh, objective things that, that have nothing to do with him, whereas someone who's truly interested in learning about it, they'll, they'll say something about themselves. It appears to me, anyway. And that's the interesting thing. As, soon as handwriting analysts, we can see right away whether they want to express themselves or if they're going to hold that's everything right. close to the vest. And we can we can see that in the writing. We don't even have to see them. They don't even have to be in front of us. Correct. We, uh, we can just get a handwriting sent to us, and we know what that person's like, which is just amazing, just amazing. That's a nice... and, and most people are very good, very good, and they do know themselves. And they're afraid of this little thing that we might come up with, but, you know, we might realize that they're sensitive to criticism or something like that, but we won't know what it is that they feel uncomfortable with until we talk to them. And when you mention it, it's, it's like a light bulb goes on because they already 
recognize exactly the person that may have made them feel uncomfortable, you know, years ago. So, I mean, it's so exciting. It really is. And, and a lot of people, when I finish doing one, they'll say, well, tell me the bad things. Well, I know. you don't really size up good and bad things. Stubborn can be very good. It can be very bad. Stubborn that you, you know, you refuse to jump off of a bridge or stubborn right, that right. I'm not going to answer the phone no matter what. Mm-hmm. So it's well, really a balance of uh, what's good and bad. I usually try to let them recognize that I don't care what trait is in their handwriting. It's there for a reason. And if someone's being stubborn, then they've learned that this is what they have to do in order to survive. Yes, and I've found and, it's really like, I assume it's, now this is a terrible uh, way to put it, but a <laughs> priest hearing confessions, they hear it all the time, and, and they just hear them and move on. As handwriting analysts, we pretty much do the same. We analyze it, we tell what the person right. is, and we're not concerned right. anything beyond that personal issue. We don't get involved, so... No, just, not unless they want to have a little help. Correct. You know, if they want to understand themselves further. But other than that, no, we do the analysis and we're done with it, you know. That's, of course, we find often that people want to extend and learn more and find out more yeah. about them because once they learn a little bit about themselves, they want to learn more. Mm-hmm. And they they think you know everything about them. You don't, but they pretty well think That's you do. That's true. They really do. And then they'll say, well, I'm afraid to write in front of you. Well, they really don't have to because uh, if they don't want to know anything about themselves, we won't say it, and we don't tell anybody else. But if they do want to know a little bit of what they can do to help themselves, we can do that too. You know, it, it's, it's really when you get into it and have been doing it for a long time, it's almost like it becomes simple to you. Don't you think? Yes, it's just it's second nature almost. It's like right, and we don't analyze everything. You know, doctors don't go to a party and That's try right. to figure everybody's illnesses. We don't go and look at all the handwriting all the time. Yes, or beauticians don't see everybody's hair hairstyles and think, well, I like this and I don't. Like Once they quit work, they want to do other things. You know. Although I find when I meet a unusual character, I keep thinking, oh, I'd love to see their handwriting. <laughs> And, and oftentimes we're pretty right in what we in the strokes that we find. I think correct, and that's, we, and that's how we learn when we see something unusual or find somebody really unique. You want to see their handwriting, not to criticize and jump on their case, but no, helps no. us to understand the whole process. Well, and you know, when people have something that they're defending for themselves, this is a form of survival, and. They, I, I try to emphasize that 90% of their personality is really great. And then they're concentrating on these few little things that are happening that make them uncomfortable. And if they can understand why they're feeling uncomfortable about that, then that gets resolved too. And, and you know, they feel so much better about themselves. Yes, they do. You said something about uh, sensitive to criticism, and that's a Big, a big help to people. If you just let them know that they're sensitive to everything people say, it opens up, oh, that's why people aren't attacking me. People aren't after me. That's right. It's just that I assume those things. They're anticipating the, the criticism. But when you say that someone in their younger time, uh, criticized them more than they thought they needed to be criticized, they can come up with that name just like that, Bingo. Yeah, that's that's for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. That's something but, but, they don't forget because that's a big fear people have. Probably the biggest one in counseling you deal with with this fear of being criticized because they take yeah. it so much to heart. In other words, if you yeah. don't, you say, "Well, that tie doesn't go with that shirt." Well, you said you don't like me. You don't like my that's philosophy. Right. You don't like my looks. You don't like anything about that's, me. And they believe it. I know. That's the sad thing. But they need to recognize that uh, they don't, the the person may not even be around anymore, but they still have this habit within them. And they need to recognize that actually most people aren't trying to criticize them in a negative way. It may be constructive criticism and they don't recognize it as that. Right. The sensitive people can't take, cannot take constructive criticism. No. No, but they can when you when you oh. talk with them and counsel them a bit. It, it opens. Like that. It, that does improve. That's right. It's like opening a huge garage door. 
I all know, of a sudden they look at things totally different. It makes a, and the, a big difference. And and their shoulders feel so much lighter. They they really it's a it's amazing. That's all I can say. Well, I always like the idea that just one thing you could tell a person from their handwriting helps. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. people can't afford to go to a therapist, a psychologist, and oftentimes you don't want to go to a psychiatrist for a lot of yeah. different reasons, and you don't necessarily need to do that. But if you can just understand the the basics of your personality, it That's just right. helps so much. That's right. Yeah, it, it, it's. I, I, I'm always amazed, and and you know when we do our green sheet, which is a, our uh, worksheet, we've got like 104 specific strokes that we can identify to a personality. And uh, when you put that all together, it just lays out in front of you. It's amazing. And each personality lays out differently. That's the amazing part. But it's each one specific for that person. And you never really see three different times I did sets of twins. And (laughs) two were identical. But But the analysis was some similar, but you know, really totally different personalities. Even though mm-hmm. they kind of thought they were the same, they realized that they really were different. Well, they're more physically the same, I think. And then they do, they, they're together so much that they, I think they do things alike. But when it comes down to their actual personalities, there's always a dominant one, it seems, and uh, one that is more of a follower. Yes. In, in, in twins. Correct. Correct. But it's, it's it's very interesting to do them. Most people are really good people, you know. It's not that we're looking for anybody that's going to give us give us a thrill or whatever you want to call it. it. It's just that I don't know. I love helping people, and this is one of the nicest professions to be able to help others. Well, that's kind of in your genes because you're also a registered nurse, correct? Well, yeah, that's true, and and uh, I, I I like this as much as I like nursing. It's amazing. I, I'm very fortunate to have had two professions, or I still have this one, but uh, to have professions that I really enjoy. I could do graphoanalysis all day long. <laughs> just to give people, just to give people an idea, uh, if if a nurse has certain type of writing, some nurses will be better in the emergency room, and some nurses will be better with bedside <laughs> manner. And so that's mm-hmm. the nice thing about. Uh, a department head knowing handwriting analysis or having the person's uh-huh. handwriting, the nurse's handwriting analyzed, you can put them in where they would do the best. Well, I've got a, a group of people in a nursing home right now that are waiting to see when we can get together. And uh, they, I offered, or and, and they, well, they knew I was a handwriting analyst. And so then they asked, oh, could you come here and talk to us about that? So, yes, I'm going to do that, but we just haven't met on the right day yet. And uh, so uh, in each each group that I talk to, I specifically put in traits for them to understand that relates to their occupations. Great. Like if I do genealogy, you're, you're, you're going to want to see what the person was like way back when. And uh, sometimes they even, this is what people told me this person was like. And then when you do the handwriting, they weren't anything like that. Or they might have been exactly like that. Marianne, we have to take a quick break, and we'll be back and lots more to talk about. You're listening to HandwritingSecretsRevealed.com. And now, more Handwriting Secrets Revealed on TalkZone.com. Here's Dave Grayson. Welcome back, and thank you for listening. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. Today we have uh, Marianne Babbage with us, a certified handwriting analyst, a master certified handwriting analyst. That's uh, an advanced degree. Uh, Marianne, you said you taught classes uh, what does the student learn in the classes you teach, and what can the student do with that knowledge? Well, when I teach my classes, I think everyone does it differently, but uh, I have them write a sample, and then they analyze their own handwriting as we go through the class, and this is very exciting for them. And uh, one of the things that they learn about themselves, and they can apply this to others too, but I stress 
and it's more important to know about yourself than it is others. So they, uh, we show them how they re- would respond initially to a situation that, that may be disturbing to them. And then, then they find out how long it may last with them, whether they hold grudges or whether they don't. And then uh, the next thing that they learn is how to assimilate, how they assimilate information, whether they're quick or slow. Well, when I say slow, it just means that they accumulate the information slowly. But they're usually very accurate. Someone who is comprehensive is going to comprehend what they've already learned before very quickly. They're going to come back to it very quickly. But they may not analyze the situation. They just want to go on to the next thing that they can pick up on immediately. They might have a curious personality. or they, and So anyway, that's one of the things that they learn there. And then we go into uh, the imagination. Do they have a philosophical imagination or do they appreciate things that take space? And that's how I describe it to them oftentimes. If, if they have abstract imagination, then that's something that you cannot touch. And if they have material imagination, then it's something that they can touch like a book, a chair, a house, or whatever, a person. And, and we then, see, then it, I just want to add in, we see imagination in the loops in the, the writing. Correct. Right. And it depends on where it's located. Uh, if it's in the middle, middle uh, area, then it's day-to-day living. And if it's above the middle air, area, then that's your abstract thinking up there. It's going up to your thinking. And then if it's below, that's where your action area is and where your material things are, things that you like to have, like a car or who knows what. Okay, so then we go into the approval needs, which means are they independent? Do they care what anybody thinks? Uh, an independent person is going to be someone who will do their own thing. They'll think about it. They'll figure out what's best for them. And then... Uh, They'll go on. However, I always like to add that an independent person also allows other people to be independent. So they don't necessarily tell everybody what to do. They're just concerned that they're going to make sure that what they're doing is right for them. And it doesn't matter what society necessarily says. They've given us some thought. And then we then it goes into the pride area where uh, this is an area where they, it does matter what society says. They do want to follow all the rules. And all these is, is, are decided by the height of a tea bar, of a tea stem. So it's, it's a specific stroke, so, which is pretty exciting. And then if it goes much, much higher than the mundane area, then uh, this person has a tendency to have to complement themselves because somehow or other, they don't feel as though they've been recognized as much as they'd like to, so they have to uh, go out and say, I did this, I did that, and I did the next thing. They're kind of difficult to be around, and I've, I usually add with this when I'm teaching that when you see someone that has a, a high T stem, then uh, you want, or, or D stem, that's both of them, then you want to mention, try to compliment them before they compliment themselves. But it's a pretty tough thing to do because this is this is how they've learned to protect themselves. And then we have the uh, successful potentials, and that would be a goal. And goals are found within the T-bar. And the determination, another basic stroke, which would be below the baseline. How straight is it? How long does it go? How heavy is it? And then we have the persistent stroke, which is a stroke that when it's brought down and then goes back to the self, because self is on the left and others is on the right. So it goes back to self, makes a circle, which is imagination, and then crosses that T-stem again. So then we've got uh, a persistence. And when you're persistent, you're going to go back, to, as I described the trait, and go back and see how it was done before, and then bring it forward and do what you think is the best thing to do. Now, there are things that hold you back in success uh, potentials. And if you've got this in your writing, this can hold you back. And the one we talked about was already sensitive to criticism. If you're imagining things that people are going to say, that's holding you back from being successful on your own. And another thing would be if you have procrastination. And we can identify all these through a specific stroke. 
the procrastination would keep you from going forward to getting it started. So it's, it's nice to identify what the causes are for your possible not becoming as successful as you want. And I usually, I know there's such a thing as graphotherapy, but I prefer to help them understand what it is that they need to do or are doing, are doing and then what they need to do. Because once it becomes a part of their personality, the, tr- the stroke actually changes. And I can tell when they're feeling better about themselves or not by the strokes. And then we have the, uh, you want more? Well, I'm just going to say I'm glad you mentioned the success traits because next week we're going to talk about the seven or eight success traits. Success oh. traits, easy for me to say. And just kind of, uh, talk about those and, and how you discover those. But Marianne, you've got great stories about, um, what you've done and some of the projects you've been in. Could you tell us a couple of those? Sure, sure. Well, well, uh, there was a uh, one of my eight basic step students. Uh, actually, she was from Germany, and she worked with the IRS over there, what they call the IRS over there. And she was visiting in the United States, and she she was she had one day that she was interested in taking my course. And so uh, she was smart enough to be able to take that whole course in one day. And uh, then she said, but, you know, I can write my uh, in, in many different ways. And I smiled and I said, yes, okay, let's, let's write the same thing, as many different ways as you think you want to. So she wrote the same words about six times, each sentence about six times. But one was leaning to the left, one was leaning to the right, one was <clears throat> uh, oh, bigger, one was smaller. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so then I looked at it and I said to her, okay, they all look a little different, don't they? They really do. But let me show you how the stroke is the same in all of these writings. And so then she recognized how the stroke works because otherwise it did seem as though she would be a a completely different person. But 90% of her personality was sitting right there in in those strokes. So that was exciting. Right. People think they can disguise their writing and kind of fake it, but uh, you can only do that a certain amount because there's a lot of different things we look at to analyze the writing. I had somebody one time that um, wanted me to do – they were at a meeting, they were kind of skeptical, and they wanted me to analyze something. And so they wrote it, and I told them what it was. And they got up in front of everybody and said, that's the worst thing I ever heard. Nothing was right. That is not me at all. That's not me. You don't know what you're doing with handwriting analysis. And I was kind of shocked because that's what I read. And he said, to prove it to you, I wrote differently than I normally write. I faked my writing to try to trick you. And I said, well, I analyzed the fake person, what you put down there. So, you know, people are just, um, you never know how they're going to react to handwriting analysis. Well, that's another reason why I don't read it before I start, because who knows what they're going to say, you know? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it is nice to know sometimes what is being said. Right. There was a, there was another, uh, there was someone who's white, oh, okay, let's start it this way. The men in this organization were holding a meeting. Their wives were being entertained by a speaker of some type. Well, I happen to be the speaker. A wife of one of them asked if I would do her handwriting. I said, yes. And then she said, would you do my husband's too? And I said, I will do it if he gives me the handwriting analysis. Uh, gives me the handwriting sample. And so I did them. And <clears throat> then uh, it turns out that his handwriting was so full of deception that I just wasn't sure I was even capable of doing anything, but in it, I said, you have one story waiting in case the last one didn't work. And he was so shocked that I picked that up. He said, no one has ever known that before, and I've done this all my life. So he wanted, he knew that I did some counseling, so he wanted me to counsel him. I said, I don't know, this one's pretty pretty strong. I'm not sure. So I agreed by saying that if I find that this is not working and you need to go to a psychologist or, you know, stronger person, then um, I have the right to say that, and he agreed to that. Well, it so happened that 
he stayed with me, and it all worked out fine. But at six months, six months later, all that deception that he had in his handwriting, with him understanding where it came from, why it came, and that he didn't need it anymore, in six months, that stroke of deception was gone. And it was just exciting to see all that work that way. So that's what can happen when you do a uh, handwriting analysis and then do a little counseling with it to help them understand where they're coming from and what's going on. Right. A lot of people think it's just fun and it's uh, a quirk or something strange or weird, but it can be used a number of different ways. And <laughs> and really, as you said, once somebody realizes, sometimes we think we're a certain way, but when somebody tells us we're that way and mm-hmm. we were questioning it ourselves, all of a sudden it opens up uh, – a whole different avenue for us, and oh, it's amazing. I don't so think I can't think of almost any person that I've done a handwriting analy- analyzer handwriting that they haven't said something uh, very positive, uh, very relieved, very. Um, it's just an amazing uh, ability well, that I have that you can just naturally help people with it. Yeah, and and, and they they actually are relieved. When, when they recognize what's going on and they don't have to be as defensive as they used to be, you know, it, it just lightens their load. Right. Time's going fast. Yes. Uh, well, how about after our little break? We need to take a break and we'll be right back with Marianne Babbage and some of her stories. You're listening to Handwriting Secrets Revealed on TalkZone.com with your host, Dave Grayson. Marianne Babbage is our guest, and uh, she's been telling us some fantastic stories about how she's helped people and some of the unusual circumstances of being a handwriting analyst. Do you have another one for us, Marianne? Sure. I had a friend who was in charge of an office with several employees. And uh, there was one person who was working in the office that she mentioned to me because she knew I was a handwriting analyst. And she said, this gal is just upsetting the whole office and everybody's ready to quit. So she needs to find a new person. And so she said, I've got these two applications that I've decided those are the two possibles, but I don't know which one to hire. And I said, well, watch a minute. Show me the handwriting, and we'll see what we can do. So anyway, as it turns out, one person was very well, cap- very capable of, of being in charge of an office. She was very organized. She was, she just had it all together. But she was very domineering. She was bossing people around, and she was not pleasant to be around at all. And then the other one that she had that was applying was a very pleasant person. She was very diplomatic. She she would get along with anybody and. Uh, but I told her she has very little attention to detail. And so she decided to hire the one that had something, didn't have uh, much detail. And just so that the office would be a pleasant place to be. And everybody was happy and everybody stayed. And then she said to me when she saw me the next time, I think of you every once in a while and I smile because every once in a while uh, this gal would put a memo on her desk, and all three of the memos would still be attached, rather than two of them mm. all go in different desks. So she, she she was very happy with the choice, but it was because I was able to look at the handwriting and let her decide for herself which personality, which person she would want to have. And that's so everything a, worked out fine then. Right. That's the important thing about a vocational analysis is placing the right person in the best position it mm-hmm. helps everybody. It helps the business. It helps the person that they're employing. They'll be, want to stay there. So getting the right person it isn't trying to eliminate somebody. It's trying to put the best person in that particular That's position. Right. That's right. You got and, and, go, ahead. go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that sometimes uh, we can uh, suggest who we think is the better person to hire or that this is the problems that they're going to have if they hire this person. And they hire that problem person anyway, only to come back three, four months later and say, I should have listened, because it was a disaster. Well, I'm on the retainer with three companies, and oh. they, ne- they never tell me 
I don't do it very often, maybe three, four times a year for each one at the most. But they never say I did a good job. They never say anything. But the fact that they, every time they have a, need a promotion or a, to fill a job, they come back to me, that tells me that it's working for them. That's right. And they're respecting your, uh, your uh, ability to recognize what their personalities are about. Correct. We probably well, have time for another story. Sure. Uh, I, there was a fourth grader who, uh, his mother was a friend of mine, and she said uh, that he's having terrible problems in school because his handwriting was getting kind of bad. And he was a very intelligent and smart kid and very nice child. But uh, his handwriting got so bad that the uh, teacher mentioned it to the principal, who then they agreed would have him come into the office practice handwriting. Well, when, uh, as graphic we know that your handwriting is your personality, and if you're going to make them change all these things at one time, you're really going to have a problem. So anyway, and that child was also going to a pediatrician who was saying there is nothing wrong with this child physically. Okay, so then uh, I asked her to bring home some papers from school that he had written, and then I'll just look at them and see what I think is going on. And we came across this one that was for what I did last summer, and uh, I was looking at it, and one paragraph was just all messed up, but the rest was nice. And so I said, I think our problem's right here. And so we read what that paragraph said, and it talked about his best friend moving to California, and he was in the Midwest. And so uh, he was trying to deal with that, and it was very difficult. So I suggested to the mother that uh, she have him call that uh, his friend maybe once a week or so, and at least to start with. And then maybe they could consider having a trip to California to visit him so that he would know that he didn't really lose his friend. And so uh, it worked. So that all worked out really well. So that was that was a great, great feeling to be able to help with that one. Many times, a lo- for a youngster, especially a loss of friend, um, mm-hmm. is is really a devastating blow to them. And that was his best friend. So, I mean, they did everything together. So it, that was a big loss for him. And we could tell from the handwriting whether they have a lot of friends or one or two. Close friends. That's true. And if they that's have one true. or two close friends, that becomes the, the huge issue. That's true. That's true. I've also had, uh, you could see kind of visual problems in, in the handwriting, the placement on the paper and, and the, uh-huh. the lines going up and down. And there are numerous times I would tell a, a parent to have the youngster's eyes checked, and they would come back, oh, it's 20-20. And I said, well, you, it isn't the perfect vision. It's the depth and the movement and the, the the eye coordination back and forth, and a good eye doctor that works with the, uh, youngsters uh, understands that it isn't just being able to see twenty twenty. It's how uh-huh. the eye iris and eyes move back and forth, and their trajectory uh-huh. as far as smooth or slow or jagged, or does it go from one word to a next ne- to the next smoothly, or does it jump from one word? To uh-huh. another. Uh-huh. That's why with some youngsters, I tell them when they have trouble reading to hold an index card or something underneath what they're reading because their eyes uh-huh. tend to want to jump the line above or jump the line below. And many educators say, no, you don't do that. And I say, well, why? If they, somebody has well, a broken leg, you give them a crutch. What matter, yeah. What does it matter? <laughs> so uh, it's, it's just a crutch to help their eyes run smoothly across the page. Yeah. Well, I'm finding myself that when I read, I read a lot of books, and when I read books, and I I have a tendency to put my finger below the paragraph. If I follow each word with my finger, that's not comfortable. But I, I put it below the paragraph, and I think I like to think in terms of paragraphs, you know? Mm-hmm. So that helps me. So you got to do whatever it is that works best for you, you know? I don't do it all the time, but I do notice that I do do that. And it's so. it's relatively easy to spot a youngster that has dyslexia by looking at the handwriting. So it just yeah. helps the youngster in so many, many ways. We probably oh, have time for one more story, uh, Marianne. You okay. got a quick story? Sure. 
uh, I at the middle school, the principal had a student sign a yearbook in very nasty language. And uh, they were trying to, they thought they knew who the person was, but they confronted him and he denied it completely over and over and over and over. So anyway, he called me and asked me if I would look at it. And I said, yes, I would. So then uh, I also looked at a couple others. But I said, this is probably the one that did this because of thus, thus, and thus, I had said at the time. And so then they brought him back in and said, we know you did it. We have proof. And then he admitted it. So that was that was an exciting thing for me to have been able to help out with. So that was a little short one. Was that too short? No, that was great. There's just a lot in that, in that uh, kind of the question document area, the forgery area, the the trying to figure out. And there's so much in that area. We're going to have a guest coming up in a couple of weeks that's going to talk about some of the cases they've had in court. Wonderful. Which are really Mm. fascinating. I've never done that, nor do I want to do that. I know. I'm not into that. I had it. But anyway, I want to thank you very much, Marianne. Uh, well, you're more than welcome. We, uh, we, a lot of good stories, a lot of information, and um, do you have a well, website or anything you want to tell us? Uh, if anybody's interested in talking with me, they can call me at 920-248-2227. That's 920-248-2227. And if they want to send an email, it's B-A-B-S, small letters, 1035 at gmail.com. Great. Thank you much, Marianne. We really appreciate it, and you have a good week. Thank you. This is Dave Grayson, and you've been listening to Handwriting Secrets Revealed, and I'm signing off. Mm-hmm.